in all honesty, with the FCC doesn't have a clearly defined role, uh, legally speaking, but what I can say is that I'm committed to making sure that the traditions of free speech and free expression that we've long enjoyed in the United States uh, are reflected in the 21st century, and that means bringing in voices that uh, traditionally haven't been given a chance uh, to thrive, and that's something I'm committed to, and uh, that's part of the reason why I was the first commissioner on Twitter, was because I wanted to hear from everybody out uh, in the country, around the world, uh, to see what they thought. Ajit Pai doesn't come across as the sort of guy who'd be crossing swords with Silicon Valley. Question him about controversial topics, and his answers come quickly, but always tempered by a Midwestern sincerity. Among the current crop of regulators on the Federal Communications Commission, he was the first on Twitter. But yes, Pai is a controversial figure in the tech world. President Trump appointed him chairman of the regulatory body, and one of his first moves was to roll back regulations that would have prevented broadband providers from using your internet browsing history to sell you advertising. I asked him about that, and more, for Fort Knox. This is Fort Knox, rich ideas and powerful people. I'm John Fort from CNBC. This is a weekly podcast bringing you the highest achievers from business, entertainment, philanthropy, and sport, We're going to learn how the very best climb to the top and pull out lessons along the way. And if that sounds good to you, make this a habit. Subscribe on Apple's podcast app or Google Play or other services and apps of your choice that do podcasting. And once you've done that, tell a friend. These talks are pretty good conversation starters. I caught up with Ajit Pai on the busy floor of Mobile World Congress in Barcelona a few weeks ago. He'd been the chairman for less than two months. I asked him about how his background influences his agenda for the internet and about how he sees privacy rules. This conversation is a brief departure from what I normally give you on Fort Knox. It digs into the views of a leader who's going to influence the technology we use every day with just a hint of his personality thrown in. Here's Ajit Pai. Well, I want to start off asking, so I, I believe you were born in Buffalo, grew That's up right. in rural Kansas, yeah. right? So you know what it's like not to have access to big city content communications services. How does that influence the way that you look at issues like rural broadband? It's the fundamental driver of the policies that I'm trying to promote at the FCC because I've seen for myself in my own childhood and as a commissioner having traveled around the country from Alaska to Mississippi that there are some big gaps in America in terms of connectivity and I'm committed to doing whatever I can at the FCC to pull all the tools of the toolbox out and uh, apply them to make sure that more Americans can get connected. And I think both your parents are doctors. That's right. How do data and communication services uh, stand to influence how people uh, receive even medical services in the future? Oh, it's going to be a tremendous change over the next several years. So, for example, when I was a child, I remember my father, uh, he was the only urologist in southeast Kansas. He would have to drive 45 minutes one way, the next day 45 minutes another way, just to be able to see his patients. But if you can imagine with a broadband connection uh, from his own hospital, from his own office, he could provide that kind of health care in a way that would have been unthinkable a generation ago. And that's something I hope that all Americans who need it will be able to take advantage of in the future. All right, now to get a little current uh, and and talk about some things that have been uh, in front of you and you've talked about recently, you're not planning to review the AT&T Time Warner transaction, is that right? Uh, Yeah, as I understand it, the parties have structured the deal such that it won't require paperwork at the FCC. Now, Commissioner Clyburn says she thinks the FCC should review it simply because of the deal's scope and significance. Why is that wrong? 
Well, the law, as it is uh, stated, uh, gives the FCC very limited authority, and only if there's a transfer of control of a license uh, between the two parties uh, does the, the FCC get involved. And so I view my role as limited to uh, uh, the, the role that Congress gave me, and uh, that's how I'm, why I'm proceeding the way I am. Why do you think the FCC has gone beyond that in the past? Well, that's a question for uh, previous chairs to answer. All I can tell you is that I view my role as being a rather boring, frankly, and humble one, which is uh, to take a look at the papers that are in front of me, analyze the facts soberly, and make an informed uh, decision based on the law and the precedents. So you said you don't want to put a number on how many wireless companies there should be in the U.S. market, and you want it to be competitive and good for consumers. What will be the most important metrics that you look at when inevitably uh, a couple of pretty large wireless players decide they want to get together? Well, the standard test that the SEC applies is uh, known as a public interest standard. And so we take a look at what the potential transaction would mean for competition, uh, for innovation, and for consumer welfare generally. And so obviously things like price uh, factor into it, but uh, you know, the rapid uh, change in terms of uh, technological innovation is something that we want to promote as well. So, But in this era, what does that mean? Because uh, public interest and uh, you know prices, things like that, mean something different when you've got um, data becoming increasingly important, right. uh, unlimited plans, uh, the, the bit rate of data that different wireless carriers are allowing through their network, the treatment of video. What do you look at today? Well, for example, one of the indicia today that I think is significant is that all four national wireless carriers, just in the last couple of weeks, have decided to either roll out new unlimited data plans or expand their, uh, their existing ones. And that, I think, is a significant indicator because it means that consumers are getting essentially more data for less money. And so that's something I think uh, is important for our regulators to take into account. And other different service offerings like that are important, too. It's not just the price or the nature of the devices. It's also uh, the nature of the service innovation that we see that is important. Does it make note for you that it was T-Mobile that seemed to have instigated the unlimited move? Because the bigger carriers, uh, certainly Verizon was saying before T-Mobile made that move, no need for unlimited anymore. And now everybody's not only jumping into unlimited, but doubling down on it. Well, we don't act with uh, fear or favor toward any particular company. What we do want to see, however, is uh, companies in a particular segment competing vigorously against each other. And so from my perspective, uh, I think it's great that all these companies are uh, taking the leap, trying to compete for the consumer's attention, and that's a good thing at the end of the day for consumers and for us. Uh, do you think there's a problem with the way businesses are handling consumer data that's collected on the internet? There have been stories for years, for example, about uh, certain marketing mailings being sent to people that are right. based on information gathered on them digitally that they weren't aware of. Uh, so two different answers to that. One is that I think consumers do have a uniform expectation of privacy, especially in the online space, and that's something that we are committed to preserving. Uh, one of the other issues is uh, things like robocalling, unwanted calls, uh, trying to get people's data affirmatively using some of these uh, calls from abroad in some cases. And there, the FCC is very committed uh, to trying to do uh, whatever it can to stop that phenomenon, because a lot of Americans are losing not just uh, you know, some of their personal information, but their money, their life savings in some cases. And that's, uh, as a consumer, uh, myself, I want to make sure that no one else goes through that. So if the regulations change, which the perception is that they will, around what ISPs, internet service providers, are allowed to do with consumer data that they collect, how right. they're allowed to share and sell that, does that still hold up to the standard? I mean, or are we seeing this issue wrong? Are you about to 
pull back rules that would have prevented them from sharing consumer information? No, I think uh, what I've uh, said consistently is that to the extent that consumers have a uniform expectation of privacy, regardless of what company is handling their data, uh, we want to make sure that uh, there's a uniform set of regulations that gives them the confidence they need to go online and to share whatever they think is appropriate to share. And so we want to tailor to the consumer's preference to the maximum extent we can. So how is that going to change from what the rules were under the previous FCC chair to what they're likely to be now? So uh, in the previous uh, FCC, there were, as you know, asymmetric obligations in terms of privacy that were imposed on internet service providers. And the argument that I've made, the argument that my counterpart at the Federal Trade Commission has made is that the FTC traditionally has applied a uniform set of rules to all players in the online space. And so what's good for Google is good for the internet service providers, in other words? Well, I think we just want every company that is handling consumers' data to handle it in the same way. And I think that's something that would give consumers a much better uh, sense of confidence when they go online and would give companies much more certainty, too, about what's allowed and what's not allowed. Right. Well, I guess Google doesn't necessarily get my medical information, um, but an ISP would, potentially, based on the types of sites that I visit. How do you take something like that into consideration? See, even that is not necessarily the case. For example, over 80% of all internet traffic is encrypted, so your internet service provider doesn't necessarily have insight to that. Uh, conversely, if you're going on a search engine and doing some of these searches, uh, your search engine company will know, uh, in a lot of cases, uh, some of that information. So that's why, instead of regulators trying to figure out in advance uh, you know, who is controlling what it, on what type of platform or what kind of company it is, uh, let's just apply a single rule, a set of rules that applies to everybody and then you know, consumers, again, uh, you can know that uh, uh, they can share in confidence. Do you feel like the goals of the 2006 to 2011 strategic plan still hold? I think some of them, uh, we're actively reviewing it. I'm only five weeks on the job, so that's part of uh, what we're doing now, is trying to figure out what should be the strategy going forward. And to the extent that there's wisdom that we can draw from uh, that uh, strategic plan, or even uh, ones that came earlier or came later, uh, we're more than willing to take a look. Have you figured out what, in this digital media environment, uh, diversity means? That's a good question. Uh, diversity in terms of ownership uh, is something that we're obviously interested in. And I, for example, have taken a long interest in revitalizing AM radio, which is one of our oldest communication services, because that was traditionally a beachhead for minority ownership. But even in the new media space, so we're always looking to see if there are ways that uh, we can encourage new voices to join the cacophony, as it were. That's the great thing about the internet, is that it's given voice to a lot of people who previously uh, might not have been able to express their views in a way that uh, would gain public attention. And I wonder how you define that in this age, because in one sense, everybody has voice. Like you can sign up for right. a Twitter account, no matter who you are, and you can tweet whatever. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be heard, that you have an audience. To right. what extent is it the FCC's mandate or goal to dive into defining what it means to have diverse voices that are actually in position to be heard? So in all honesty, the FCC doesn't have a clearly defined role, uh, legally speaking, but what I can say is that I'm committed to making sure that the traditions of free speech and free expression that we've long enjoyed in the United States uh, are reflected in the 21st century. And that means bringing in voices that uh, traditionally haven't been given a chance to, to thrive. And that's something I'm committed to, and uh, that's part of the reason why I was the first commissioner on Twitter, was because I wanted to hear from everybody out uh, in the country around the world to see what they thought and let them have a voice at least with uh, uh, one uh, humble regulator. <laughs> You started quite a trend there. Yeah, uh, do you think content owners should be able to pay wireless carriers to deliver some content for free? For example, you know, Disney's got a movie. They want AT&T's uh, subscribers to be able to stream that trailer uh, for free. 
Well, that's one of the issues uh, we're considering, and it's still a little early on, but uh, I know it's generated a lot of thought in terms of the economics and the, the politics of it, but uh, right now we haven't re reached a determinative judgment one way or the other. What are the issues involved that you're weighing? Oh, well, just as in the broader context of uh, some of our uh, you know, previous uh, regulations, we want to make sure that we have a competitive marketplace and uh, uh, provide consumer value at the end of the day. Can you give a little bit of a sense, not on which way you're leaning necessarily, though feel free, right. um, <laughs> but just w w what are some of the pros and cons that you're considering on the table as you wade through that, an issue like that? Well, we obviously want to make sure that uh, whatever a company or set of companies uh, might do in the online space is something that's competitive, that's good for consumers. And so nothing in particular, it's uh, just one of the things we're learning about and trying to figure out what our approach is going to be. Um, Netflix CEO Reed Hastings yesterday talked about the work Netflix is doing to uh, work on codecs and be able to stream high quality video content at lower and lower bit rates, 300 kilobits, right. even eventually 200 kilobits per second. It was interesting, he seemed to be arguing for carriers to be able to more granularly uh, manage their networks, maybe even in a sense put a cap at uh, a megabit per second for unlimited video in order to stream things efficiently. And I wasn't sure if that falls under free and open internet or not. What's your reaction to that conversation going on about, boy, it's, it's great for us if they're able to offer unlimited right. kind of at a cap. But I thought they didn't like caps. It's, it's sort of confusing. Well, yeah, that's one of the things I've heard that companies are thinking about. Obviously, Netflix yesterday, but you know, T-Mobile, for example, uh, delivers video at 480p, and that's something that they found their consumers like. And on a smartphone device, if you don't need super high resolution, then that works for them. But uh, that's for uh, whatever uh, you know, Reed might be thinking about. As someone who recently sacrificed a great deal of sleep in order to binge watch The Crown, uh, I would appreciate <laughs> anything uh, he can do to deliver a better video experience. Uh, I've really enjoyed the service. Um, how would you characterize the difference between your approach and Tom Wheeler's approach? That's a good question. Uh, you know, I tend to think that uh, the regulators should uh, take a relatively uh, humble, restrained view of the marketplace. And uh, obviously, if we're going to be regulating the entire industry, uh, make sure that there's concrete evidence of a market failure, because those rules apply to everybody, big and small. Uh, on the other hand, if there is a kind of harm that manifests itself, one company does something anti-competitive, then we need to take targeted action within our authority to address it, either at the FCC, the Federal Trade Commission, the Justice Department, what have you. And I think that's the best way to balance uh, the need to make sure that there's competitive marketplace with the incentive to invest in uh, the networks of the future. And that's the sort of balanced approach that I hope to uh, carry with me in the future. Do you see yourself wading into the issue of uh, virtual reality and the impact that that has on the consumer? Certainly as a consumer, I've enjoyed uh, some of the demos I've seen. It's a, it's a brave new world out there in terms of virtual reality. One of the things we do have an interest in, uh, in terms of VR, is the spectrum needs. So obviously if we're delivering high resolution uh, VR experience, that requires a tremendous amount of bandwidth. And uh, so I've recently met with companies, uh, done an Oculus demo, for example, that uses 60 to 70 gigahertz uh, uh, spectrum, massive channels to deliver that experience. And that's something that uh, we're committed to in the context of 5G, for example, of making sure that we get as much spectrum into the commercial marketplace as possible and then let the VR innovators uh, work around it and see what they can come up with. And I'm excited uh, both as a regulator and as a consumer about what's to come in terms of VR, AR, and some of these other technologies. When's your next visit to Silicon Valley? It's going to be soon, I hope. Uh, it's, I'm overdue and I love uh, being there. There's something about the entrepreneurial spirit that just uh, makes you feel uh, alive when you're walking around and visiting with some of these innovators. And uh, uh, when it happens, I will let you know. Well, I'm, I'm actually based in New York now, but I'm sure okay. there'll be 
really excited to see you, as important as the FCC's role is these days. Absolutely. I can't wait to meet them soon. All right. Ajit, thanks. Appreciate it. Thank you. My thanks to Ajit Pai. I'm John Fort from CNBC, and this has been Fort Knox, rich ideas and powerful people. Subscribe on Apple's podcast app, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are distributed. And please do leave a review if you enjoyed this. Also, check out Fort Knox Live on Facebook, Twitter, Periscope, and now on YouTube. And yes, it is live, and I'm taking your comments and questions, usually Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern. I tackle some of the most interesting business and economic issues with a little help from my friends at CNBC and from you. We're going to skip April 19th, though. I'm going to be on spring break with my wife and kids. But you can check out last week's fun episode while you wait. And next on the podcast, a treat. Mark Fields, CEO of Ford Motor Company, joins me for the Fort Knox podcast. We talk about his career trajectory, biggest mistakes, how he gets a team marching in the same direction. Go ahead and subscribe to Fort Knox now on your iPhone's podcast app or on Google Play or wherever. (laughs) This is one of my favorite episodes yet we got coming up. Meanwhile, share this. Tell a friend. Drop me a note on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, or FortKnox.com. That's F-O-R-T-T-K-N-O-X.com. And as always, thank you for lending an ear.